Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, we are back this week talking about The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. Things are going pretty good in my world, other than how incredibly slow business is right now. I can't complain, though, because I have a job and I love where I work. So many people can't say that. I was actually talking to a sales representative on the phone yesterday, and my job came up. I was telling her how much I loved my job and loved helping people. and She responded that she can tell, and it's not just because I said the words, but because of the passion in my voice. And I also might have encouraged her into a career change. (laughs) It's just truly sad how short life can be, but it's such a good reminder that we should strive for what we find joy in each and every day of life. This has definitely been a theme of mine lately, both personally and for a close friend of mine. We've both agreed that we have power and the bravery to change the things in our lives that aren't working. Sometimes we need small changes in life. Other times we need bigger changes. So if anything, I hope this episode helps motivate you into making a change and to heal a little bit from the grief that plagues us all. The new year is always the excuse people use to make changes, but I love that in life we can make changes at any time. We don't have to wait for a big event or a period of our lives, but that we can choose to grow at any time. It's definitely been a roller coaster year of change and growth for me, but I also wouldn't want things to be any different. It will make me change things in my present and my future because of that growth. Also, stay tuned because at the end of the episode, I am going to have a recap for the books that I read this year and which ones were my favorites. So for the booze this week, this book can be tough at times. It's got some heavy themes, but it also has a positive outlook for the future despite the incredible loss. So for this, I felt like a smooth red wine was in order and I thought of a Bordeaux specifically. So I went to Total Wine, and while I love Total Wine, I really miss my wine subscription, and I hope that business picks up so I can start that up again next year. It definitely hasn't been in the budget this year, but I tried some great wines, and I really enjoyed the service. I did use First Leaf, and I would be willing to go back to them or try another wine subscription service as well. I just kind of sometimes hate driving so far when I work full time and I have a kid and I have dogs and I just get tired and I just want to stay home and drink what wine I have at home. But since my wine subscription, I just don't have bottles of wine sitting around anymore. I will say though, Total Wine does have a really great selection and I do love them as well. For this week, I went with the 2019 Chateau Ferret Lambert Bordeaux. I probably pronounced that wrong. Mom, it's a French Bordeaux, so maybe you can tell me how badly I messed up that pronunciation. But it was a top 20 wine of 2022. It's a medium-bodied wine, and that's what I wanted, something that was a little more supple and developed. And according to the website, this wine has flavors of dark plum, mulberries, dark cherries, walnuts, and spice. And I honestly don't know if I've ever had mulberries, so I wouldn't even recognize that as a flavor. Well, maybe 
maybe as a kid I had mulberries, but I honestly couldn't tell you what they tasted like, again, let alone pick it out of a wine that I was sampling. I definitely got the plum flavor, which is the flavor that I was truly looking for in this pairing. It's 14, 5% ABV, and it was a little more expensive than my normal wine at $19.99 for a bottle, but it was well worth it. Common pairings for this are red meat, but it would also go well with pork or grilled chicken. The timing on this works well, as it's a wine that I'd consider as a good addition for a holiday celebration. I definitely pour this for guests who are snacking on my holiday spread of snack foods that range from dips, cheeses, and meats to fruit, veggies, and cookies. About the author. So, I hadn't heard Joan Didion's name, but after reading about her, I totally should have. And I am going to have this author section in this episode because this isn't really a typical memoir. So I wanted to take a little time to talk about Joan Didion herself. From Wikipedia, she was born December 5th, 1934 and died December 23rd, 2021. She was an American writer. Along with Tom Wolfe, Hunter S. Thompson, and Gay Talese, she is considered one of the pioneers of new journalism. Didion's career began in the 1950s after she won an essay contest sponsored by Vogue magazine. Her writing during the 1960s through the late 1970s engaged audiences in the realities of the counterculture of the 1960s in the Hollywood lifestyle. And I'm so glad that that guy just stopped at the stop sign and revved his engine and that we could hear it for, I think, maybe like a full five minutes. Anyways, Didion's political writing in the 1980s and 1990s often concentrated on the subtext of political and social rhetoric. In 1991, she wrote the earliest mainstream media article to suggest the Central Park Five had been wrongfully convicted. In 2005, Didion won the National Book Award for nonfiction and was a finalist for both the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Pulitzer Prize for The Year of Magical Thinking, a memoir of the year following the death of her husband, writer John Gregory Dunn. She later adapted the book into a play, which premiered on Broadway in 2007. In 2013, she was awarded the National Humanities Medal by President Barack Obama. Tidian was profiled in the Netflix documentary, The Center Will Not Hold, directed by her nephew, Griffin Dunn, in 2017. And I really wanted to watch that before I did this episode, but with the holidays and everything, baking cookies with the kids, you know, spending time with my family... There was just not enough time to watch it before this episode. Didion did work for Vogue for seven years. She seems like she was a feminist who worked really hard and spoke out against the wrongs that she saw in the world. She's definitely an author I will read more of, and I wish I would have found her sooner. I would have loved to add her to my list of authors to have a beer with. Didion wrote five fiction books and 14 nonfiction books, as well as countless articles. She and her husband, John Gregory Dunn, wrote five plays and screenplays together. I am also an idiot because I didn't realize that she and her husband wrote A Star is Born. Though I will admit I haven't seen either the Barbra Streisand or the Lady Gaga adaptation. And I love both Lady Gaga and Barbra Streisand. Streisand was always my idol because I love that she never got a nose job, especially working in Hollywood where there's so much pressure, especially nowadays, there's so much pressure to be beautiful and to go under the knife and have things fixed about yourself. 
I have a very Streisand nose (laughs) and she really helped me come to terms with it. I'm getting off track though. Didion has some incredible successes and it also seemed as though she was an incredible person to boot. Getting into the book, I thought a bit about reading this book for the new year, but it's a book about grief and I'm hoping to put my grief behind me. So I decided to read this now rather than wait. Rather than starting my year on this note, I wanted to end it on grief and putting my heartache behind me. I also didn't intend to read and share two memoirs so close together, though I really just love reading about people's growth and transitions in life, especially while I'm in the midst of my own evolution. Another reason I love memoirs is because I think we can learn a lot from other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that when we see reflections of ourselves and our experience in others, we feel less alone. This book is about grief. It's a book pieced together from the notes that Didion wrote down when her husband died. It's the story of how she dealt with her grief from the loss of her husband while she was also struggling with the illness of her daughter. While it's touted as a memoir, it's really a book more on the thoughts of grief and death as someone who was experiencing that grief. In talking with my therapist, he's reminded frequently that my loss, though not a death, was still a loss and it's normal to go through the grief process. I thought I would relate more directly to the book, and while there are parts I related to in my own grief, I found the experiences to be almost entirely different. It is a beautiful book about grief, though not about my grief this year, and that was totally okay with me. It put things in perspective for me. My loss was nowhere near the loss that Didion had. I have lost loved ones as well, though not in the same way that she has. The first thing that she mentions is with her loss, the accounting of traumatic events such as Pearl Harbor and 9-11 often start with how ordinary the day was. I think it's an entirely relatable emotion that the day starts out so incredibly ordinary until it's not, as the incredulous feeling of wonderment that the world can continue to move on as normal despite the incredible loss that you've just suffered. I remember when my first love died and how after I got the news, I just kept staring out the window, wondering how the sun could still be shining and it could be still such a beautiful day without him in the world. Didion says several times in the book, quote, you sit down to dinner and life as you know it ends. It's that feeling of just being incredibly blindsided by the loss. In my case, I should have known, at least this year, my loss, I should have known, I should have seen. And Didion does the same thing, referencing her husband's health, that she should have known that this was going to happen. And I think it's just the shock of how we want to find the answers somehow. We want to put a reason on things. We want to define our world. Now, after loss, we need to find a new way to define our world because the person who helped us define it for so long is no longer there. It sounds like she and her husband had a wonderful marriage and a beautiful love. At times, I was almost angry at her for her grief. I haven't had that kind of love in my life, not in a partner anyway, and here she is writing a book about the loss of that love. And I almost wanted to like reach through the book and just kind of smack her around. And I wanted to tell her to be thankful for what she had to begin with, because so many people never have what she and her husband had together. But that also makes me pull back and look at how to help people who are grieving. And that that's definitely not what to say. (laughs) Be thankful for what you had. (laughs) 
it's hard to know the right thing to say to people who are grieving. I remember when my good friend lost her mom suddenly. She said, no one knows what to say, but I'm thankful that they at least say something. So many people told me that I was better off. And I know this. Hearing it doesn't make it easier or make me understand it more. But I'll take a page from my friend's book and be thankful that people have said something and that have shown that they do care. And how do we endure such incredible loss? It's quite amazing because regardless of if it's death or another type of loss, we feel as though we can't go on and yet somehow we do. I've talked about how incredible I think our brains are and how our brain functions. And the shock is a big thing that protects us. Didion talks a lot about her reaction to things, which I think can be attributed to shock. She says she's a, quote, cool customer because she doesn't react emotionally at first when her husband died. And I remember when another good friend of mine lost her husband suddenly. At times, she was incredibly cool, calm, and collected. And I remember being with her at the funeral home, and she was incredibly businesslike up until the funeral. At the funeral, when she lost it. I knew people made judgments, but there is no way that we should judge how other people handle grief. And in that moment, she needed to lose it. She'd held it together for so long. Didion says, quote, on the surface to the outside observer, I seemed rational. Grief works in mysterious ways. And I think this is why I've heard to not make any major decisions until a year after a loss. You can seem rational. You can think you're rational. But in truth, your brain is still in shock and prospect processing. It's also a great introspective part of the book where Didion realizes that she was grieving, but hadn't allowed herself to truly mourn the loss of her husband. She was too busy, quote, handling things. And I think the handling things part is when you're still in shock and not fully aware of the loss. But I think you can also grieve and mourn without fully understanding and accepting the loss. She talks about the common feelings of anger and guilt, as well as how she blamed herself at times. While she knew it was irrational, she also tried to do things she thought might bring him back, despite knowing on some level that that would never happen, that he was never coming back. As she's dealing with the sudden shock of her husband's death, her daughter was struggling for her life in the ICU. And I cannot even imagine this. Like, this was horrific enough but she's also fearing for the life of her child at the same time. I think shock is how our brain protects us because to fully understand and process both of these things, they might have broken her because I know it would break me. So she just handled things. Her daughter, Quintana, is in the hospital with septic shock. When Quintana finally comes out of her coma, Didion has to tell her on three separate times that her father is dead because she's unable to retain the information due to the illness. And I can't imagine the heartbreak of having to tell my child that one time, let alone multiple times, and have to see her go through the shock of it over and over again. While Didion is no longer with us, but for this alone, I would love to tell her that she is one tough lady. Quintana's struggling with her illness is a large portion of the book as well. Her daughter ends up passing away before the publication of The Year of Magical Thinking. And Didion didn't change anything about the book, but she did end up writing another book specifically about her daughter's death called Blue Nights. 
There's a lot about her daughter's illness in the year of magical thinking. She devotes a lot of time to her and energy to shift her focus from the loss of her husband to helping to care for her daughter. It's almost as if her daughter's health struggles keep her in this continual state of shock. Throughout the book, she shares the beautiful memories of both her husband and her daughter. And this is maybe a little bit more of the memoir part of the book. I loved how she shared them having dinner at this restaurant that they went to regularly, how she was driving 120 in the Corvette accidentally across the Mojave Desert, and him having her write down notes for him on the book he was writing. It's so beautifully normal and yet specific to them and their relationship. And like any loss, she realizes that the things that they love together no longer exist. Didion also shares how she dealt with her grief by reading and educating herself about grief. She talks about a grief observed by C.S. Lewis and How We Die, Reflections on Life's Final Chapters by Dr. Sherwin Newland. She references Melanie Klein, quoting her, The mourner is in fact ill, but because the state of mind is common and seems so natural to us, we do not call it illness. My therapist reminds me all the time that my mental health issues are an illness, and while it may have different needs than a physical illness, I still need to take care of myself the same way I do when I have a cold or a virus. Mental health and grief are truly both physical illnesses, even if we don't treat them as such. One of the most poignant moments for me is when Didion asks herself, would I ever be right again? And of course the answer is yes, it will be very different, but we will be right again. This is a beautiful book with so many universal truths about grief. I think this is why it wasn't quite a five for me. Grief is the same, yet also very personal. It's not even that it didn't do it for me because it did. The book was just not as powerful for me as some other memoirs and thoughts on life and death. I did listen to this on audiobook and I would recommend reading it versus using a physical book or an ebook versus the audiobook. There were times I wanted to read more quickly and other times I wanted to slow down and kind of savor and reread what I have read. And it I would have been able to control that better had I not been listening to an audiobook. The audiobook also had this really weird music towards the end of the chapter, but it wasn't always towards the end of the chapter. And sometimes it went on longer than other times. It was sometimes it was in the middle when I think they meant it to be at the end of the chapter. It was horribly distracting and definitely another reason I'd say go with the physical or ebook. This is one book people might want to highlight too. So that's another reason I'd recommend avoiding the audiobook. I gave this a three out of five. Goodreads gives it a 3.92. One reviewer said they hated the book. They gave good reasons that I actually understand. I hate when people say they hate a book, but they don't clarify. Didion lived a good life. They had money where they were able to do a lot of things. She and her husband had a great love. This reviewer found it hard to relate to her loss considering that her life had been so blessed. And I can understand this. I found it hard at times listening to the incredible life they had. However, grief and death affect us all. And it doesn't matter how much we make or how we live our lives. If you can get past this, Didion had some good reflections on loss. Another reviewer said, Hated it. 
The same self-pitying, whiny, depressing, self-important sentiments are basically repeated over and over again, only with different words. (laughs) And this is almost, this next review is almost in response to that review, but it's not. And this reviewer said that, quote, Didion is really investigating and putting to paper, investigating and putting to paper the way that memory and perception work under the duress of grief. And this to me too, is also the beauty of the book. Another thoughtful review said, quote, people complain that there isn't enough passion here. At times I felt like the tragedy here wasn't the loss of love, but the loss of habit. But a habit is life, and what Didion is trying to describe is the loss of her life as she knew it. I think it's a great perspective, and while I think it's partly true, I also think she is talking about the loss of a great love as well. I understand both perspectives, and I can appreciate those who love this book and definitely also understand those who hated it. Again, I find myself more towards the middle. I enjoyed some parts more than others, and I do think it's a fascinating study of grief and that I think it's worth the read. Media recommendations this week, Wednesday on Netflix. Well, I enjoyed The Addams Family. It's not something that I loved, so I wasn't immediately ready to watch this show. Again, I'm kind of sick of the nostalgia, and I just want to see more new ideas and new TV, which is another reason I didn't think I was going to watch this one. Though, like I still frequently find myself doing, I did watch this because of the boy. And I'm glad I did because I actually really liked this. I love the juxtaposition of the personalities between Wednesday and her bright and brilliant roommate, Enid. Enid. (laughs) My son has apparently also decided to go to college so he can stay in the dorm rooms because he thinks this will be awesome. It's a fun coming of age story with a great message about being yourself and embracing who you are while letting others be themselves. Also, Avery's Ghost by Annie Dwell. This is a cool story that I'm excited to share. It's a cool book too, but it's also a cool story of how I came to read this book. I was looking for a historically accurate circus novel and asked for recommendations on Reddit. And I'd forgotten about it because I didn't get some great recommendations. But the author, Annie, reached out to me directly on Reddit to recommend her book. First of all, awesome marketing plan there. And I don't even think she knew that I had a podcast. So it just worked out. But this book fit the bill for exactly what I was looking for. It was really well-researched and accurate to circus history. It's also an incredible and compelling novel. I really enjoyed it, and I would recommend it. It looks like it could be a series, so I hope she writes more books because I will definitely read them. It's incredibly atmospheric, and it could easily put myself in the setting. There are some great gems out there for people to find, even if they aren't as popular books. And this is definitely one of them. So it reminded me and it makes me want to encourage everyone else to find authors that aren't as well known because you will find something that you like if you try hard enough. So my favorite books of 2022, if you haven't listened to all the episodes, you might be missing out on some great books. So I wanted to recap my favorite books for the year. I finished out the year at right around 74 books. Every year, I think I read so many great books that how can the next year possibly compare? And thankfully, it always does. So in no particular order, my favorite books were... I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, the Max Barr series by Allison K. Abbott, 
The Five Wounds by Kristen Valdez Quaid, In the Middle of Hickory Lane by Heather Weber, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, These Violent Delights by Micah Never Never Ever, which I still stumble over that name, even though I did a whole episode using that name, (laughs) Salvage the Bones by Jessamyn Ward, Finding Me by Viola Davis, and pretty much everything I read by Peter Swanson I really enjoyed. And I definitely read some other great books, ones that I even gave five stars to. But looking back over my list, these were the ones that really stood out to me as the best books. And a couple of these books, like I'll Be Gone in the Dark, The Secret History, These Violent Delights, and Finding Me, those were just so hauntingly incredible books that I still think about them, even though it's been a little bit since I've read them, some longer than others. But those are definitely books that will stay with me that I truly enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you all a wonderful and magical new year. You can find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. Email me at don't read drunk at gmail.com and check out my website. Don't read This is a hobby podcast, so you can do a one-time donation to help support me through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. There is not an apostrophe in the don't in any of the online stuff. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at 1UP Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find Aaron and 1UP Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. They've also opened up Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Next episode, I don't know what I'm going to read yet, so I'm still in the planning phases of what my new year is going to look like, so you will have to be surprised by the next episode. Bye, and talk to you in 2023.